Hello, Patriots. It's March 27th, 2021. You are tuned into Canadian Patriot Radio, and I am your host, Critch. So today we are going to open, this is going to shock all you regular listeners, we're going to open with another death from the vaccine. Oh, not a laughing matter, I know, but uh, it's just, it's phenomenal how many of these we've reported on just this show alone, and yet at the very bottom of this article, we're going to exploit something that you guys will get a kick out of. Okay, the title of this one reads, Family Claims Kansas Woman Died from COVID-19 Vaccine Reaction. This comes to us from the New York Post, and it was written March 25th, 2021. A Kansas woman family claims she died from a uh, reaction to a COVID-19 vaccine, though health officials haven't confirmed that her death was linked to the shot. Jeannie M. Evans, 68, of Effingham, died unexpectedly, unexpectedly Wednesday at Stormont Vale Hospital in Topeka, according to an o- online obituary. Evans received her first dose of the vaccine the day prior at the Keystone Early Learning Center news station KSNT reported. Once once she started experiencing an adverse reaction, she was taken taken in an ambulance to the hospital where she later died, the outlet reported. It is not clear which of the approved COVID-19 vaccines Evans received. She is survived by five children, 15 grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren, according to her family. In a statement, the Stormont Vale Hospital said no cause of death has been determined. The individual was transported to our hospital after receiving the vaccine in the region, a spokesman for the hospital said. A cause of death is yet to be determined. Our thoughts and condolences are with the family. Health officials have repeatedly stressed that they believe the benefits of getting the jab outweigh the risks. Now this is the part I want you guys to focus on because this is what we're going to pick apart. So far, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has not identified any deaths that have resulted from receiving a COVID-19 vaccine. More than 130 million doses have been administered across the nation, the CDC said. So the New York Post, which is typically um, right-leaning, just printed something that I would call a blatant lie. And this is the reason why. Now, here's that statement again. So far, the, dis- the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has not identified any deaths that have resulted from receiving a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, <clears throat> on this show, we've reported quite a bit about the VAERS reporting system, which is the Vaccine Adverse uh, Events Recording System. And um, if you go to the VAERS site <clears throat> and you scroll to the very bottom of the first page, I'm going to read what it tells you. VAERS is co-sponsored by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, agencies of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Let's go back to this article again. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention has not identified any deaths that have resulted from receiving the COVID-19 vaccine, yet on their own sponsored website, the VAERS reporting system, the last time I checked there was over 1,700 deaths on VAERS. <clears throat> Somebody's lying. <laughs> Somebody is definitely lying. And uh, let's keep in mind that I bet you the deaths is well over 2,000 now. Just in the U.S. alone. Just keep in mind that is the U.S. alone. So we've got uh, a serious um, 
communication breakdown, uh, probably intentional, in, in the actual adverse effects of the COVID-19 vaccine, of what's, what people are experiencing. There is pretty much a media blackout on what is really happening. And not to mention, you even uh, closer to home here in Canada, you have Health Canada issuing warnings about blood clotting, and yet uh, still just marching forward with uh, with jabbing people with this vaccine. Pretty scary. And uh, like you guys have, have heard me say in the past, the immediate problems with the vaccine are not what scares me. Um, we've done two shows now that kind of verified one another, um, one from Dr. Vernon Coleman, and another one from Dell Bigtree, where they both exposed um, probably the long-term effects of this vaccine are going to be where we start seeing major, major problems. Uh, <clears throat> and just to just to put it into you know terms that you and I understand, when you train your body to only spite, fight one specific strain of of a specific virus, you're leaving it open to everything else. And what Dell Bigtree did was he um, he kind of put it into football terms. You know, you, you you train them to only look for one ball carrier, and uh, if the offense plays a different play and gives the ball to somebody else, then your immune system, being the defense, cannot even react to that play. They won't even see the ball carrier. So now we're you know in the scotch we've got we're pretty much a hot spot for the European variant, uh, Regina and now Oxbow in the southeast um and uh you got people getting vaccinated here left right and center and uh specific and basically training their bodies to fight the original strand of covid yet we've got active variants within our province that are um knocking people down left right and center and we're going to talk about we're going to get into the variants um a little bit later in the show because just keep it in the back of your mind to, to know that we're going to revisit it because the narrative and the variants and everything, just how, how perfectly they fit together uh, with the vaccine and everything like that. It's just, it's, it's just neat to see how it always works out, you know? And we'll, uh, like I said, we'll get into that a little bit later. But what we're going to do now is let's just kick this show off. We'll be right back. Conspiracy is not theory, and political corruption finds the spotlight.
At CPR, we are committed to finding the real truth while upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom. With all thy sons, command. Welcome back, everybody. Let's just stay on the COVID talk that I was um, letting you guys in on in the pre-show. And uh, I'm going to cover an article from 980 CJME, uh, become, quickly becoming one of my least favorite radio stations and uh, media, uh, simply because they are doing, they're doing nothing but pushing this vaccine nonstop. Probably just like everywhere you guys are, your local news, you've you got... Uh, maybe sometimes, uh, like in, in the case as it is in, for 980, we had a a very right-leaning um, broadcaster by the name of John Gormley that was, uh, you know, uh, he brought a real common sense approach to media. And now he is just a 247 um, vaccine pusher. That's all he is. He's just 100% on the vaccine train. Uh, and, and it's just sickening to see someone that I used to, you know, uh, respect quite a bit for the fact that he would take unpopular opinions uh, on specific um, topics and, and and still and, and you know especially in media in media you've got pretty much a left dominant media so anybody that leans even right of center a little bit is usually just brandished as a conspiracy theorist and and uh, they run the risk of being you know banished by their whole sector right <clears throat> but uh, anyway let's get back to this article here young adults express concerns as COVID variants cases soar in Regina area now. <clears throat> I want to, we'll go through the article, but I want to keep in mind, like the, the vaccine rollout in Canada is now getting to the lower ages, isn't it? Like you're getting down to the sixties, I believe, uh, people in their sixties, um, seventies and sixties, and they're going to be looking soon for the 50 year olds, the 40 year olds. And, uh, just, just pay attention to how this, um, this rhetoric or the heavy air quotes, official narrative seems to be pushing, uh, uh you know, stuff on you know beliefs or fears on people uh this was written march 26 2021 by logan stein and in, and in all fairness it's a fair article i mean it, he's just reporting he she logan could be a, a either or so i'm not sure but uh is reporting just what they have found for a story but I'm, I'm just noting a bigger trend in the the reporting uh globally now anyway with more young people getting sick with COVID-19 in the province, many are left wondering what's going wrong. The Saskatchewan Health Authority's Chief Medical Officer, Susan Shaw, says the variants of concern are starting to complicate things. Five out of the last ten people admitted to the General Hospital, Hospital ICU in Regina were under 40 years old. That is not what we saw in the fall at all, Shaw said. The COVID variants, more specifically the United Kingdom variant, also known as B117, is more contagious and more deadly than the typical COVID strain, 
according to the Canadian public health agencies. Regina is starting to set records, and a lot of that is because of the surging UK variant in the community. On Friday, the Regina region set an all-time high of 70 hospitalizations due to COVID while almost matching its single-day high with 16 patients in intensive care. Cases of variants have also been more prevalent in Regina than anywhere else in the province. As of Thursday, 973 variant cases, cases have been in the Queen City. The province as a whole has seen 1,155 cases involving a variant. These numbers show the risks in Regina are certainly amplified, with the city seeing more than 1,078 new cases compared to the Saskatoon area in the past month. Younger people are generally interacting and mixing more, which means there are more opportunity for this virus to spread, Shaw said. It is a really big risk, not just for the healthcare system, but it is a risk for anyone living in the province. The idea of younger people feeling invincible when it comes to COVID isn't new, but that feeling might be starting to change, according to 21-year-old Anna Mamaze. I keep seeing people our, our age partying. I feel like those of, those of us that are following the rules, it's getting very tiring, Mamaze said. I think a lot of people our age are thinking noth- nothing's going to happen to them. Even if they get it, it will just be like the flu. It could be an eye-opening thing for some people to hear that, the, that all these younger people are in ICUs. Mamaze says the thought of returning to previous measures is exhausting, but they're in place for reason, for a reason. I'm sure we're all sick of it at this point, but we need to just continue to power through it, she said. Hopefully things start to tone down. I'm hoping that Saskatoon doesn't start getting these variant cases like we have here, and I'm hoping that everyone kind of starts to realize how serious this really is. Brooke Pellerin, 21, echoed a similar sentiment, saying the beginning of the pandemic might have pushed some people to believe COVID only targets elderly people. In the beginning of COVID in Canada, there was kind of a push that the elderly people were elderly people are very at risk and that it could could affect them a lot. I feel that kind of showed younger people that they were that they would be fine and wouldn't have to worry as much, Pellerin said. I think that mindset has caused a lot more people to become lenient. Zoe Corles, 17, says she feels a lot of people her age have the mentality that it would never be them who tested positive. I know a lot of people say that they have never seen anybody close to them get sick, but we are starting to see a lot of younger people being hospitalized with no underlying health conditions from COVID, she said. We're all missing out on a lot of stuff, but the, but the more we continue to be careless, the more we are going to be dealing with the effects for a long time. I know a lot of people are going to big gatherings just because they miss them so much. I can't take a break. F- they can't take a break from it almost. In an attempt to get rising cases in Regina under control, old restrictions on bars, restaurants, movie theaters, and other facilities are going back into place on Sunday. So <clears throat> the point I'm trying to make with this is what are the odds what are the odds as the vaccine rollout kind of goes, you know, through the ages, you know, starting with the elderly and the most frail, uh, working its way down through the 80s, uh, through the 70s, through the 60s. Uh, that's kind of the stage that we're at in Saskatchewan. You know, I've got friends that are in their 60s that are now getting uh, letters and calls saying, yep, okay, we're, uh, we're getting to your age group. You can come in and get vaccinated. But what are the odds? <clears throat> 
that you have a variant all of a sudden surface in the middle of a landlocked province with supposedly really no, not too much for international flights coming in and out. Let, let's focus on the fact that now you're supposed to be, you know, the Canadian government is supposed to be locking you into a hotel when you return to Canada, uh, you know, unconstitutionally. Uh, you have to be taking tests when you fly into Canada, uh, PCR tests, pretty much an 80 per, 80% uh, false positive rate with the PCR test. But there's all these things that they're doing, yet we've got this UK variant right smack in the middle of a landlocked province that basically only has two places where it could have came from. So Regina, it makes sense that it would be there. So you got international travelers obviously coming from the UK, landing in, in Regina, and all of a sudden you've got this variant. But what are, what are the odds that it would target the younger generations right when the vaccine seems to be hitting younger age demographics? What are the odds of that? It almost looks too planned. Do you get where I'm kind of going with this? <clears throat> like, I think the probability of that would be so minuscule that you it probably wouldn't even calculate unless it was planned. It's just so uncanny that you have this variant that starts attacking <clears throat> younger adults and hospitalizing them right when the vaccine is starting to hit just a little bit older than they are, you know. I, I myself saw that and immediately was like, whatever. <laughs> you know, that's just unbelievable. Oh, man. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on to something else here, my friends. Okay, let's shift our focus to our absolute favorite uh, misinformation outlet, which would be the CBC. And let's, uh, let's just look at what they're, how they're uh, painting a really wide, broad uh, paint stroke here on, on people. And uh, the title reads, Marketplace attended a COVID-19 conspiracy boot camp to see how instructors are targeting vaccine skeptics. Oh, man. That title is just unbelievable in, in and of itself. Online boot camp instructors discuss how to target vaccine hesitant potential hacking of... Uh, <laughs> of vaccine passports. This is by Katie Peterson, Eric Zetzo, Asha Tomlinson, and it was posted on March 26, 2021. While Canadian health authorities fight back against what Chief Public Health Officer Theresa Tam, Tranny Tam, has called an infodemic, the spread of false information about the COVID-19 pandemic, others are working just as hard to target the public with conspiracy theories. Holy cow with conspiracy theories <laughs> my echo didn't work if you're wondering why i just said that again i hit the wrong lever <laughs> marketplace journalists took part in a u.s covid19 conspiracy boot camp where aspiring activists including the leader of one of canada's prominent misinformation campaigns learn tactics of persuasion to sow seeds of doubt about information coming from public health authorities Oh my God, <clears throat> this is just, I can tell that this article is probably going to get me hot under the collar. Sherry Tenpenny, a Cleveland, Ohio-based osteopath with self-proclaimed uh, self grandmother of the anti-vaccination movement in the U.S., runs the six-week six -week online course. She has hundreds of thousands of followers on social media and has appeared on popular far-right conspiracy podcasts such as Infowars far-right conspiracy podcast just look at the littering 
of propaganda in this whole fucking article. CBC journalists signed up for the $623 Mastering Vaccine Info Boot Camp to find out exactly what was being sold to her students. You're in our choir, Tenpenny told the class. It's those who are on the fence who need to hear the message, she said. My job is to teach the 400 of you in this class, so each of you go out and teach 1,000, she said, encouraging students to pra uh, practice in front of a mirror. My job and your job and everybody else who does this, their job is to sow seeds, she said in a separate YouTube video promoting the boot camp. We're going to build an entire army to stand up and say not only no, but hell no. Manip manipulation and persuasion. The boot camp course material is primarily taught by Tenpenny herself, who explains her theories on the immune system, vaccines, and COVID-19, often contradicting scientific consensus on the topic. Now, I just want to step out because they're going to just take, uh, they're going to keep taking shots at uh, Sherry Tenpenny here. And the reason I'm stepping out is I want you to know who she is. She's one of the, um, you know, they just told you she's one of the leading anti-vaxxers in the U.S. But who is Sherry Tenpenny? Um, here is her, her education. Tenpenny graduated with a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Toledo in 1980 and subsequently received a doctor, doctorate of osteopathic medicine degree uh, from the Kirksville College of Osteopathic Medicine in Missouri in 1984. From 1986 to 1998, Tenpenny was the director of emergency de of the emergency department at Blanchard Valley Hospital in Finlay, Ohio. She opened an osteopathic pra practice in 1994 and went on to establish two more such practices in 1996 and 2011. So... <clears throat> This isn't just uh, just a uh, run-of-the-mill everyday person. I'm, we're talking about a doctor, which is the trend with a lot of the people that are really speaking out uh, on both sides of the border. We're, we're, we're seeing physicians uh, really take the forefront and say, you know, you've got to really pay attention to what's going on here. Anyway, let's get back to the original article. I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of background on who they're slamming and going to continue to slam in this article. The communication tactics are taught primarily by Tenpenny's business partner, Matthew Hunt, who gives advice on how to ensure students connect with people on a personal level as a pers persuasion tactic. Understanding the subjective human experience is how each individual stores their version of information is key to unlocking their mind and building trust and successfully affecting, them, uh, affecting change with them, this course material reads. And then they've just got an example on uh, how they do it. His lessons also encourage students to recognize what type of persuasion tactics is most effective for the individual based on the way the person talks. He slots them into four categories and presents different persuasion strategies for each. It's about manipulation and persuasion and convincing people of something to simply get them on their side said Krishana Sankar, Science Communications Lead with COVID-19 Resources Canada, a digital source for up-to-date scientific information on COVID-19. And then just a shameless plug for the one girl that's speaking out against it. Oh, the CPC is pathetic. Fucking pathetic. She is a part of our team that helps dispel misinformation during a nightly question-and-a video calls that are open to the public. It is extremely frustrating, frustrating because we are constantly trying to educate people on what's real. What's real? We're just talking about interpretation and they're, 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 holy. 
the, the whole last section of that article was manipulation and interpretation. And they basically then turn around and try and manipulate the reader by statements like trying to educate people on what's real. We, we, we could blow holes in everything that they call real, uh, no matter how hard they try to, to convince us of this fucking lie. And we do it on the show every fucking time we do a show. Good Lord. This person is an idiot. Sanker is a science communicator, one of a growing field of experts whose aim is to explain complex scientific concepts in ways that are easy to understand without a science background. Or in other words, um, <clears throat> manipulation. <laughs> Influence and manipulation. So that, my God. It's so funny to see how these writers will completely contradict themselves in a matter of two paragraphs. They're going to try and sink somebody for doing what their professional is doing. How pathetic is that? So in other words, Krishana Sankar is exactly like Sherry Tenpenny, just she goes along with the official fucking narrative. No thanks. Anyway, they're going to continue to plug her here. Her work with COVID-19 Resources Canada includes hosting daily video calls where she and other experts, heavy air quotes, including physicians, pharmacists, and scientists, can answer questions from the public directly. She says she was very concerned to learn that misinformation campaigns like Tenpenny's are actively targeting people with questions about vaccines and the pandemic. This kind of rhetoric and the kind of misinformation can be extremely dangerous for people's health, especially when it is taken under advisement from people who have no expertise, she said. Oh, my God. <clears throat> so they're fighting over the idiots. Oh, my God. You are starting to affect the thought patterns of the idiots. We can't allow that. Oh, my God. We need to have a large percentage of the population be vaccinated, and without that, we are unable to move forward from this pandemic. Bullshit. Bullshit. Because natural herd immunity would take over. You can throw a billion variants at us. And, I, you know, the other thing that we're not learning about these, uh, you know, people that are getting sick with the variants is they probably never had the original COVID strand. I bet you people that got the original COVID strand that get infected with a variant, probably your symptoms are way less severe because you've already got the natural antibodies in your immune system to fight off even a variant. So you'll probably come down with a three-day head cold and chest infection just like you got the first time you got the fucking COVID uh, original strand. And that's no freaking doctorate. That's just paying attention to actual my own personal health and, and seeing, you know, what, you know, because every year we've got a new flu variant that comes out, right? And how many of you that got the flu within the last five years are getting it every year without a, you're not getting the vaccine. Let's just take vaccines completely out of this equation. How often do you get it? For those of you that are against the flu vaccine like myself, probably not very much. You probably, I bet you you're probably averaging about once every five years where you get, a, maybe the flu tries to get you. If you're similar to me, you have a fairly strong immune system, but it doesn't actually get you completely. Your immune system reacts and, and pretty much isolates it to specific areas and you don't get the full-blown flu. I used to get the flu when I was a child. Uh, it would knock me right on my ass when I was, you know, all, you know, in my childhood and then even into my teens I can remember having the flu so bad that it actually left me bedridden for a day and uh but that was the worst case I ever had of it and then ever since then I've never had the flu that bad again <clears throat> anyway I'm getting completely off topic here you know it's just it just blows my way blows my mind how you see them completely contradict themselves in their own articles and then they hold this holier than thou uh approach over you 
well, this is our professional, your professional's wrong. That's basically what they're saying. Like it's, a, it's like a kindergarten argument going on in a CBC article. And they're so easy to pick apart because they're fucking stupid as all hell when they write these things and they don't think people are going to pick this up. But here at CPR we do. <laughs> oh boy. <clears throat> Tenpenny told CBC in a statement that she stands behind the content of her boot camp and that she won't apologize for earning a living. The anti-vaccination movement was a lucrative industry before the pandemic, enabling some people to make money through speeches, conferences, and donations from individuals who trust the organizers of such events. Now the COVID-19 conspiracists are taking a page out of the same playbook. Organizers of the course attended, the C- attended by the CBC journalists said that 400 people had signed up, which was at $623 per student Adds up to more than uh, adds up to almost two hundred and fifty thousand in course fees. <clears throat> the course was the eighth of its kind since two thousand seventeen, with the preceding ones focused on anti-vaccination information. While the recent session was COVID nineteen specific, I wish I would have known about this course. I totally would have sat on this. It included participants from Canada, Europe, India, the Philippines, and according to Tenpenny, 18 physicians from South Africa. Well, that's because they're not getting told the right stuff in South Africa, obviously. I bet you South African doctors are being uh, subjected to people like Sankar, a scientific communicator, one of a growing field of experts who aim to explain complex scientific concepts in a way that is easy to understand uh, to physicians without a science background. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I love the CBC. I, you know, in a, in a very uh, sarcastic way because they just are, they make this so fun. They're probably the biggest reason why I got into podcasting because reading their articles made me want to throw TV TVs through windows and, and just, you know what I mean? Like they're just, they're so oblivious. Um, they think that everybody's an idiot. And so they write this they write in a manner that is they speak down to the readers and for me that was the absolute uh, epitome of of uh, the media that I wanted to pick apart and shred to pieces so as you can tell I am I am strangely enjoying this <laughs> Tenpenny also has other ways of making money from her students selling additional courses and even getting a referral commission from a private lab that gives her $10 for every 100 spent on vitamin deficiency tests, a fact she mentions in one of her seminars. <clears throat> Tenpenny falsely claims that the reason some people have more serious illness from COVID-19 is because they are vitamin deficient. Falsely claims. Ooh, that could be a li- liability right there. That falsely claims Tenpenny could have a lawsuit right there on CBC. So if anybody of you know Sherry Tenpenny, uh, make sure that uh, you get this article to to her because uh, (laughs) that could be a defamation lawsuit right there. She also asserts that taking vitamins can be a cure for COVID-19 positive patients. They take some vitamin C, D, and A, some herbal medicines, some homeopathy, and they're fine. She said in one of her YouTube videos, she told students she sells vitamins on her website during one of her seminars. So not only do they pick her apart for going against their narrative, they're actually trying to attack her source of income here. And keep in mind that they just leave out that actually all these payments to Sherry Tenpenny are voluntary. 
you can just pay you you can either pay it or you don't if you want what sherry tenpenny is selling you buy it this is called the free fucking market jesus Okay, marketplace journalists heard this claim repeated in an interview with one of Tenpenny's former students, Vladislav Sobelov. Sobelov is the founder of Hugs Over Mass, a Facebook group with more than 10,000 members that has been behind some of the anti-mass and anti-lockdown protests that have taken place across Canada. Good job there, Sobelev. Sobelev partnered with Tenpenny last year to arrange a group of his Hugs Over Mass followers to take the training. He says he is now organizing activist training of his own. Rather than trying to convince society to bring them to your side, the best thing we can do is plant the seed of doubt, said Sobolev. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that that's all you have to do is just, not just the seed of doubt, like just the way this is worded. Let's, let's word this properly without the CBC skewed version of it. All you have to do to bring people over to, their, to uh, the side of truth is start littering truth into everything that they're fucking reading. And they can discern it on their own. You don't try and influence or manipulate people to see the truth. You just start showing it to them. God. <clears throat> oh, he says the aim of the training is to spread the message and defend our way of life. Nobody should be forced to wear a mask. Nobody should be forced to do a test. And ultimately, nobody should be forced to get a vaccine. The core message conveyed in the boot camp are that vaccines are dangerous and COVID-19 is not. With Tenpenny pointing out to what she sees as a high survival rate for the COVID-19 and equating the virus with the annual flu. She's bang on. Look at the numbers of the average. The flu is, has been gone for the last two years. But look at the flu numbers, the flu deaths, basically from every year prior to COVID and compare them to the COVID deaths. She's 100% right. And I'm sorry you can't see that CBC because you're being pushed to foot. You're being pushed to uh, further this false narrative. <clears throat> but she's bang on. Mortality. Mortality is only one measure of danger, says Colin Furness, an epidemiologist with the University of Toronto. A lot of people who survive COVID do so with extensive brain damage, heart damage, lung damage, and kidney damage. Well, then why don't they fucking sue uh, the Chinese government then? <laughs> This is a China virus, right? It's the Wuhan Institute of Virology that released it upon the world. These people that are surviving with this, why don't they turn around and slap the Communist Chinese Party with lawsuits? Why doesn't the Canadian government step up and do that for them? Hmm. Uh, I warned you that this article was going to piss me off, and here we are. So uh, if you enjoy me ranting and raving, this is the article to be listening to. <laughs> Oh, Furness also noted that more people died of COVID in 10 months than died of influenza in Alberta in 10 years. Oh, holy cow. I, wow, that is quite the statement. <clears throat> okay, moving on. Hackers eyeing vaccine passports, instructor says. Good. In one of the boot camp seminars, Hunt discussed con uh, conversations he has had with a computer hacker who he says are sympathetic to the cause promoted in the boot camp and want to figure out how to hack digital vaccine passports that some countries might use for their unvaccinated people uh, that some countries might use so that unvaccinated people could circumvent vaccination requirements. Brilliant. We have been talking about that on the show for a while now. So if you want to look into that, apparently we have to start really paying attention to Sherry Tenpenny and her uh, subsidiary here, Mark Hunt. 
The passports don't exist in Canada yet, but the European Union Commission already announced its proposal for what it's calling digital green certificates, which would allow vaccinated individuals to travel between countries in the EU before the borders officially reopen post-pandemic. In the background, these are what the hacker cracker folks that are really pissed about Oh my God, let me read that again. In the background, these are what the hacker cracker folks that are really pissed about this is pissed about this are working on. Hunt said during one of his seminars, noting that he hopes they will succeed. They will. <clears throat> they absolutely will. Hunt told CBC in a statement that he is not involved in any hacking or subversion of any systems himself, nor would he support it. However, he said, he can certainly understand why such groups would focus attention in that direction and why they discuss such workarounds. Uh, because it's, it's, your, uh, it's your human right to freedom of travel. Uh, this is complete tyrannical overreach to um, not, al not allow access to travel for, because of specific vaccinations for viruses that the human immune system can beat if exposed to it. My God. <clears throat> The anti-vaccination community has circumvented rules before, sharing names of outlier doctors who are willing to be paid for vaccine exemption notes, for example. Sweet. The fact that some members of the movement are now talking to hackers about vaccine passport cons passports concerns Furness, whose research, research expertise includes information technology and its effect on health behavior change. <clears throat> That's engaging in what looks like possibly criminal conspiracy to put people at risk, said Furness. It's going to have an impact on vulnerable people who didn't sign up for this, but who may get sick as a result. Well, just a second. Let's step out here. Um, <clears throat> this guy right here. The hell's his name again? Furness. For Furness. Yeah. F-U-R-N-E-S-S. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about uh, the vaccinated people shedding possibly genetically modified versions of this virus to the public should we not be considering uh every single vaccinated person should be self-isolating for 14 days is that not like if and i'm just saying this i'm just asking this question generally and just logically because what we from what we understand these people that are getting this vaccine slash gene therapy are now shedding probably alterations of the virus like they're they're <clears throat> In some of the articles we've read, they are basically a laboratory of uh, viruses shedding off of them because of this vaccine. <clears throat> Let's talk about that there, Furnace. <laughs> okay, judge the expert before the information. Okay, back to Sankar, the scientific communicator, says that in order to avoid <clears throat> falling into, into a misinformation echo chamber, people should first consider whether the person sharing the information is qualified to do so. Okay, let's just plug this into actually Sankar herself. <laughs> Do they have any kind of expertise? Well, Sherry Tenpenny, we've gone through her credentials here on just in this article, and I would say yes. How long have they, have they been in this area? <clears throat> well, judging from her background, since probably the 80s. Who are they affiliated with? Well, probably the Medical Health Board. <laughs> are, <clears throat> these are really important pieces to understand and know about the person you're getting information from. She also warns that people should be wary of absolute or overly definitive language, which scientists usually avoid. Really? Because when they talk about climate change, they say that the, the science is settled. 
What do you think of that, Sankar? These are all your scientific buddies saying that the science is settled on something that the science should never fucking be settled on, ever. What an idiot. I'm just going to flat out call her a fucking idiot. <clears throat> Furnace thinks it's important that those spreading COVID-19 conspiracies not be left to their own devices. Oh, oh, so what are, what are we going to do here, Furnace? Let's hear. In order to defeat, to, to defeat COVID, we've all got to be rowing in the same direction, he said. It's not enough to say everyone can choose what they want to think about COVID. Holy so you've got a straight-up fascist. They're interviewing a fascist in this article saying, no, everybody's got to think this way or we're not going to beat it. Sorry, bud. That's not the way the world works. It's never worked that way. You're never going to get 100% compliance. And on an issue this big, you'd be lucky if you get 50 fucking percent compliance. That guy right there is, is scary to be saying. Every, anybody that pushes that kind of narrative should not be getting interviewed at all. That is a fascist. Holy lick. Anyway, that's the end of that article, which got me extremely hot under the collar, as you can tell. Okay, let's take a breather from getting that pissed off at the C... Just leave it to the CBC to get me that mad every single time. And let's go back to... Uh, let's inject a little bit of sanity into this upside-down clown world that we live in. And I'm, I'm just absolutely loving this one. This comes to us from Just the News. The title reads, Michael Flynn's relative sue CNN for $75 million over reporting alleging QAnon affiliation. Brother and sister-in-law says CNN's false attributions expose them to public scorn, ridicule, and contempt. This was written March 26, 2021. <clears throat> Former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn's brother and sister-in-law sued CNN in federal court for $75 million on Thursday stating that they were defamed by a report last month alleging they were members of the QAnon conspiracy group. Jack and Leslie Flynn, who live in Rhode Island, alleged in U.S. District Court in New York that the CNN report on February 4th falsely portrayed them as members of QAnon by selectively airing video footage from a family outing last 4th of July where they joined Michael Flynn in reciting the oath to the Constitution that members of Congress take. At the end of the oath, Michael Flynn uttered the phrase, where we go one, we go all. And the entire family responded, God bless America. CNN edited out the pledge and the God bless America exclama exclamation and claimed the phrase uttered by President Trump's, President Trump's national security advisor was an infamous QAnon slogan, the suit alleged. <clears throat> Um, here we go. In fact, per Michael Flynn's phrase was drawn from an, ins an inscription first engraved on a bell of one of President John F. Kennedy's sailboats acknowledging the unity of mankind, the suit stated. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> General Flynn intended to encourage people to think about being good citizens, to love country and be good patriots, the lawsuit said. The video had nothing to do with QAnon or recruiting digital soldiers for an apocalyptic reckoning. As a result, CNN falsely accused plaintiffs of being followers and supporters of the dangerous, violent, racist, extremist, insurrectionist, domestic <laughs> terrorism movement QAnon, the suit argued. Plaintiffs are not followers or supporters of any extremist or terrorist groups, including QAnon, it added. CNN falsely attributed uh, to plaintiffs associations that never existed. Actions plaintiffs never took, including an oath of allegiance to QAnon and views plaintiffs never held. 
CNN, CNN did not immediately respond to a request for comment Thursday afternoon left at its corporate press office in New York. Stephen S. Biss, the Flynn's lawyer, accused CNN of being a Democratic Party trumpet for, uh, that forswore its role as an impartial reporter of facts and joined with political partisans in an overall plan or scheme to discredit the character of the Flynn's. For that, it must be held accountable by a jury. Leslie Flynn said in a statement that her family was intent on fighting a disparagement campaign against General Flynn's family. Enough is enough with CNN and the lies about our family, she said. We cannot sit by any longer and allow CNN to disparage our good name. That has got to stop. In the lawsuit, the Flynn's alleged the CNN report caused their family public scorn, ridicule, and contempt and lowered their esteem in the community, causing insult, embarrassment, humiliation, and substantial injury to plaintiffs' res uh, repu uh, reputations. <clears throat> Well, this is exactly what we need to start seeing all over the place. Um, the number one, uh, General Flynn is the people's general. His, his influence goes beyond the U.S. Um, any of us that are paying attention to upside down clown world know that he is a, basically a beacon for sanity. Um, if any of you on the Telegram page listen to the Dark Delight podcast um, interview of General Flynn, you can just tell by the way he speaks, that he's got a great mind, um, he's patriotic to the bone, and he's not promoting any of this crap that they're saying, you know? Does General Flynn have knowledge of the QAnon? Or let's just make one thing clear. There is Q, and then there is Anons. There is no QAnon. So the media's whole rhetoric of this QAnon, um, it's just, it's completely, it just goes to show how little they know about the whole thing, right? I... <sighs> Does General Flynn know about QAnon? Absolutely, he probably does. I'm assuming, so I can't speak for General Flynn, but there's no way that uh, President Trump and all his senior advisors didn't know what was going on with Q. <clears throat> but were they involved themselves? Probably not. Um, you know, from what, from what I understand about the Q program, the Q op, I like to call it, is that it was the NSA. You know, you've got people like uh, Thomas Drake, former head of the NSA, that have actually been uh, photographed in public with Q lapels on, probably kind of hinting in a very bold manner that he knows about the program and could himself have been involved. Let's not forget that there was eight, uh, there's eight military personnel and two civilians. While Thomas Drake is now retired, is he one of the civilians? Who knows? But I got, but but to have a level like Thomas Drake potentially on. Uh, the Q op goes to tell you that the uh, the integrity of the people that are releasing the information uh, that is linked to the Q basically board. You know, the biggest thing that Q is is I think they were just white hat communications publicly released. That's it. And then once it started gaining steam, they started just showing you what to look and research. That's it. But this is great. Um, <clears throat> I want to see the Canadian media sued. So I like, like that's why I was pointing out in the last article where Sher Sherry Tenpenny probably has uh, a suit against the CBC, falsely claiming. You know, like when they do things like that, they're they're putting themselves at risk. And and um, you know, people have to follow the Flynn family lead. Like when they're reporting stuff about people that um, could potentially be damaging, uh, people need to sue them. Because that's the only way we're going to get a hold of our media again. Because our government is, they're just a, another, the fourth fourth column of a, 
of a deep state, right? They're just going to keep pushing the narrative. They're never going to be for the people until we start putting them back in their place by suing the ever-living fuck out of them like this or burying them completely. So this was great to see. Okay, let's move over to the National Post here. Um, we took a serious loss in the Supreme Court. Really no surprise. I believe that the judges on the Supreme Court, are, I think they're liberally stacked. I couldn't even tell you. I think it's what... <clears throat> Uh, what is there nine judges on our Supreme Court is very similar to the US and I'm pretty sure that seven of them are liberals Uh, I'll have to look into it further don't quote me on that I could be completely off but I'm pretty sure that it's a liberal um, it's a liberally dominated Supreme Court so there's no surprise here Supreme Court of Canada rules that the federal carbon tax law is constitutional the ruling is a blow to the governments of Ontario, Alberta, and Saskatchewan who had been fighting the law in court. This is by Brian Platt, March 25th, 2021. The Supreme Court of Canada has found the Liberal government's federal carbon tax to be constitutional, dealing a blow to the governments of Ontario, Alberta, and Saskatchewan who had been fighting the law in court. In a 6-3 split. Oh, so I was only one off. <laughs> but there you go. That, that just flat out tells you where your Liberals or where your, where your Supreme Court sits. In a 6-3 split decision Thursday morning, the majority of justices found that the law is constitutional because reducing greenhouse gas emissions is a matter of national concern and the law is focused on the narrow purpose while still giving provinces the ability to legislate their own solutions. Really? Because they forced the tax over top of any other solutions? We didn't even get an option. Not to mention here in the Sketch, we were the f- like we were in the forefront of carbon catcher- capture with our coal plants. Like when you pass a coal plant in Saskatchewan, you see steam rising up from them. It's just basically the same same process that you've got in every diesel truck now. You know, they've, they've got carbon capture um, filters and scrubbers, and you're not getting much going out into the air now. But that wasn't good enough for the fucking liberals, was it? Because that was the argument that the Sketch put forward. Like we actually are way ahead of the curve here. Like what are you guys even talking about? <clears throat> Uh, The evidence clearly shows that establishing minimum national standards on greenhouse gas price stringency to reduce greenhouse gas emissions is of concern of Canada as a whole. So let's just take that statement right there and just break it down to what I just said. The evidence clearly shows that establishing minimal national standards, while we were above minimal national standards in the sketch, and I would imagine in Alberta, I know Alberta for sure, and Ontario is probably very similar. Ontario, I believe you guys are nuclear, so you're probably way ahead of it. And you've got, um, you've got all the dams, you know, so you guys got hydro. You guys call your power hydro. Um, so Ontario is obviously way ahead of it too. But listen to the rest of this. <clears throat> um, the standards of greenhouse gas price stringency to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So the, the Supreme Court in Canada is on board with this thought pattern that you can tax the environment clean. Like, let's just, pull, let's just pull all that rhetoric apart and just get to what it's basically telling us. And now these are, these are the highest judges in Canada telling you that. And you know what I'm going to say? That is fucking retarded. <laughs> oh my God. This is the upside down clown world that I refer to all the time. Oh. This is a matter, this matter is critical to our response to an existential threat to human life in Canada and around the world. Oh my, so these liberal justices are morons. It is a landmark decision not only for the 
fraught politics around climate change in Canada, but also for the constitutional division of powers and what the federal government is able to impose on provinces. At issue is the 2018 law that set a minimum national standard for pricing greenhouse gas emissions for both industry and consumers. If a province has its own carbon pricing regime, such as Quebec and BC do, it meets the minimum standard. It's, it stays in place. But if a province doesn't meet the standard, the federal carbon tax kicks in with the revenue rebates rebated to consumers. Really? Because I haven't seen it. One red cent of that. So that's a flat out lie too. To fight the law, the provincial governments in Alberta, Saskatchewan on, and Ontario set a constitutional reference to their highest, highest appeal courts. The federal government won in the Scatch with a 3-2 split on a five-judge panel. In Ontario, it was 4-1, but lost in Alberta with a 4-1 victory for the province. In the Supreme Court of Canada majority decision written by Chief Justice Richard Wagner, the court accepts that the law is meant to address the profound nationwide harm associated with a purely interprovincial approach to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. It rejects the argument advanced by some dissenting provinces that the purpose of the law goes much further than that into regulating all industry industrial activity. Okay, well, <clears throat> let's revisit that in about 10 years because I guarantee that's what's going to happen. And then I wonder what old uh, uh, Supreme Justice Richard Wagner will have to say about that afterwards. The court thus accepted that Parliament can con constitutionally establish a floor of carbon pricing across Canada because of the National con Concern Doctrine, under which the federal government can exercise jurisdictional power not explicitly granted to it in the Constitution Act of 1867. All parties to this proceeding agree that climate change is an existential challenge. The decision says it is a threat of the highest order to the country and indeed the world. This context on its own provides some assurance that the case at bar, Canada is not seeking to invoke the national concern doctrine too lightly. The undisputed ex uh, existence of a threat to the future of humanity cannot be ignored. So look at that through our eyes. That's just a complete admission that the Supreme Court justices are, are indoctrinated with, uh, with the climate change religion. That, that's, what, that's the way I read that. I'm sure you guys are probably very similar on that. For the, for the national concern doctrine to apply, there must be a provincial inability to deal, um, there must be a provincial inability to deal with the matter, meaning that failure of one or more provinces to cooperate would prevent the other provinces from successfully addressing it and that a province's failure to deal with the matter within its own borders would have grave extra-provincial consequences. Just, just a second here. You know, they don't even take into account the fact that let's, let's just, we're going to use the Scatch because that's where I'm from, but um, they don't even take into account that Scatch is carbon negative. Like we're generally, we're, we're generally a farming community. Uh, they don't, they never even once acknowledge the fact that, uh, uh, through farming and tilling of the land that you're actually capt uh, capturing a ton of carbon not to mention that 80% of Saskatchewan is actually forest so if you actually start doing the math on, on the carbon positive negative the plus minus of the carbon in the Saskatch we're actually negative but yet we're still paying for this god 
Oh, Wagner's decision acknowledges that greenhouse gas emissions are a global problem, but says this only reinforces their findings. Any province's failure to act threatened Canada's ability to meet its international obligations. Well, fuck. That's the Paris Climate Court. And nobody in Canada wanted to be a part of that. Jeez. Which in turn hinders Canada's ability to, put, to push forward international actions to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it says. Therefore, a provincial failure to act directly threatens Canada as a whole. Sure it does, Wagner. Why not? <laughs> Especially in a province like Skatch, that's carbon negative. Oh yeah, we're just a total threat to the rest of Canada. The majority decision find that the laws do not go too far in infringing on provincial jurisdiction. Emitting provinces retain the ability to legislate without any federal supervision in relation to all methods of regulating greenhouse gas emissions that do not involve pricing, it says. They are free to design any greenhouse gas pricing system they choose as long as they meet the federal government's outcome-based targets. So if that's the case... <clears throat> then there shouldn't be any problem with um, just taking all this, all the taxes, all of it, 100% that you're collecting from everybody at the pumps on their on their energy bills, uh, every every way that you're actually collecting this, and just turning the 100% of those proceeds to them at tax time. There shouldn't be any problem with that, right? Is that kind of, is that kind of how I'm reading this? Shouldn't be a problem at all. Better yet, don't take it from them at all. How's that sound? <clears throat> I know I'm just getting I'm getting kind of snooty but geez Wagner concludes by saying there would be irreversible harm if parliament was constitutionally unable to address greenhouse gas emissions at a national level this irreversible harm would be felt across the country and would be borne disproportionately by vulnerable communities and regions which profound effects on indigenous people peoples on the Canadian Arctic and the Canadian coastal regions. The decision says, in my view, the impact on those interests justifies the limited constitutional impact on provincial jurisdictions. Three justices wrote dissenting decisions. Uh, Justice Suana Cote wrote a partial dissent saying she believes the government has the constitutional power to establish a pricing floor for the greenhouse gas emissions, but that the existing law is unconstitutional because it gives the federal cabinet too much power in setting those standards. Justice Russell Brown and Malcolm Rowe both wrote full dissents to the majority decision. Brown dissented by arguing that the law's subject matter fails squarely with provincial within provincial jurisdiction. This is a model of federalism that rejects our constitution and rewrites the rule of confederation, Brown wrote. Its implications go far beyond the carbon tax law, opening the door to federal intrusion by way of impo uh, imposition of national standards into all areas of pro provincial jurisdiction, including intra-provincial trade and commerce, health, and the management of natural resources. It is bound to lead to serious tensions in the Federation. Roe agreed with the analysis and also said that the national concern doctrine is a power of last resort and has been wrongly applied in this case by the majority. So you do have, let's just go, Malcolm, Russell Brown, that was Russell Brown that we listened to. So you do have three judges, Suzanne Cote, Russell Brown, and Malcolm Rowe on the Supreme Court that actually still have their heads strapped onto their shoulders. <clears throat> anyway, it's extremely frustrating, and you and I both know that this is only going to lead to more problems with our uh, federal government. This is going to just create more overreach. They're going to get into every part of your life. Uh, not that this isn't bad enough already. I'm, you know, uh, Day Nine Satan was was mentioning to me that uh, 
uh, we have a house in in town, and she was mentioning that uh, it's it's about you know, th- and we're talking about a place that is for the most part empty. Uh, it was thirty dollars, thirty thirty nine dollars more every month, and that's just on on a wee little house I- in town. So I can just imagine what uh, you know some of the bigger outfits, not to mention farmers that had to dry dry all their grain every uh, you know every uh, fall, so that they could market it. Uh, you know, we, we were seeing some of the, the copies of the, uh, the Sask energy bills, um, and the carbon tax alone was like $5,800 on just the bill, the bill being way over 10 grand. So, you know, you, you've got these liberal judges trying to justify it, you know, and, and this, uh, this Wagner basically exposed his whole thought pattern. Like this guy's whole belief pattern is exposed in this article. He is 100% bought into the climate religion. 100%. 100%. So you can you can understand why he's arguing what he is because he is part of a cult. And so he's going to push that narrative no matter, you know, and he's in a position of power, of great power. It's actually, for me, it's actually incredibly scary that the Supreme Court justices in Canada have bought into this cult. Very scary. <clears throat> You know, the, the one thing that really should anybody, any self-respecting skeptical mind should hear statements like the clients or the science is settled and just take a step back and go, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you don't have to study much science to know that that is a very false statement. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this show, my friends. So it was a whole show of rants, <laughs> which is perfectly good. Um, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook. It's Canadian Patriot Radio. Message button. Use it, my friends. It comes right at, right to me. So a good way to converse with me. Or if you have information that you want to share, information that you want to see on the show, uh, you can use that method. If you prefer email, it's CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. Or if you are trying to get off of fascist book or other very um, censored platforms, look us up on Telegram. It's t.me, Canadian Patriot Radio, and join the conversation that is ongoing on that page at all times. A lot of good information being shared there and uh, uh, just a good place to be all around. Anyway, my friends, thank you so much for joining me again. And uh, like always, um, you guys are the way that this uh, podcast gets out there. So if you like the content, uh, please share it on all your social media platforms and get it out there. Get your friends, uh, uh, you know, show your show it to your friends. And if they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. That's the way it goes sometimes. But um, for all of you that are doing this, thank you so much. Can't thank you enough. And thank you so much for tuning in again. And until next time, my friends, with all thy sons, command. joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care.